Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the CycleCast, and thank you for streaming, downloading, or tuning in at cyclefeed.xyz, and we are also available on iTunes. My name is Aloudin Hightower, also known in the streets as Dean, and I'm here with my co-host, Ronnie Toth. Hey, Ronnie, what's going on? You want to talk louder in the microphone? Living the dream, man. A lot of racing this weekend. It was pretty good. Yeah? How was the racing? It was good. Um, first, let's, let's tell people where we are. We oh, yeah. are. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> was, okay. <laughs> we are recording downtown at the Wheelhouse, uh, just let's see, east, uh, west, just west of the Sixth Street Bridge. Um, it is a new coffee shop, uh, bike shop. It's going to be a space used for all sorts of activities. Might uh-huh. have some spin classes down the line. A lot of group rides going to be leaving out of here. Just creating culture. It's a beautiful thing. And we're here with the owners. Can we get you guys on the mic? Go ahead and pick it up. Hi, I'm Tammy. Uh-huh. We want to make sure you guys are comfortable, too. And we put your face right on the mic. Oh, I'm nice and close, and uh-huh. I'm still Tammy. Okay, cool. <laughs> Chase. Chase, all right, cool, cool, Chase. cool. So this is a very nice shop, like I said, when you when I walked in. For none of you guys that have ever walked in, or this is a new shop. You guys have been here for about a week so far, right? Yes. Okay, the wheelhouse is masterfully interiorly interiorly is that a good is that a real word nope interiorly it's pretty fixy designed okay this, describe what you're seeing for us dean what i'm seeing two is, stories i'm seeing two stories maybe two and a half two, uh, you could probably put an extra loft in there if you want to live inside of here most definitely we are in the arts district um i'm seeing a big red neon sign called the wheelhouse and i'm seeing a whole bunch of beach cruisers and all types of other types of bikes on the walls and then I'm seeing like half but, mean, like deer bikes. heads but bikes exactly deer heads but with bikes <laughs> yeah concreted into the like a hunter would hang uh, his prize trophy on the wall they've mm-hmm. got bikes sticking out of the concrete on any of those bikes <laughs> we did not <laughs> <laughs> no races were personally won on the deer hunting bikes cool cool give us information <laughs> about your shop please talk to us a little bit so the concept of the wheelhouse is really we kind of felt like there's this really cool version of cycling that's this explorer, this um, kind of this like you miss so much life in a car through a windshield. Mm-hmm. You kind of see point A and you see point B and then it's like whatever you've got going on. And we did a lot of kind of exploring and riding around on our bikes and that's how we really got to know LA and just felt like that's a really interesting side of cycling that isn't present in a lot of bi- in a lot of bike shops or um, in the city altogether. And so the concept was let's create a space that really facilitates this type of bicycle culture and mm-hmm. this community. Um, so everything in here is kind of designed to get people inspired and outfitted to live kind of a bicycle lifestyle and mm-hmm. kind of that um, urban or, you know, beyond explorer. Yeah, it's just very European, the way of just hopping on your bike and using right. it for transportation and anything from the kind of romantic way of going to the farmer's market to genuinely commuting on mm-hmm. your bicycle to kind of adventuring on your bike, you right. know biking up the coast, you know, packing your bags and equipping them on your bike, and yeah. Especially right here in the downtown area. Um, the coffee shop right here, the wheelhouse, it's located right in between, it's in the Arts District, which is right in between East LA and downtown Los Angeles for people that aren't from the LA area. 
maybe 200 meters uh, west of the end of the 6th Street Bridge. Yeah, on, exactly. on the right side and maybe 50 meters in the parking lot, would you say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of things going on in this neighborhood. And so, like, having this shop right here is ideal, especially for something something that's as big as this. And you guys have a lot of bike locks outside, which is, I think, is really important because, you know, you, you, you would hope there would be, I would say, you know how bike-friendly somebody is or a company or group when you roll up and you see how many locks are... What do you, would you call them? Bars? Like stalls, yeah, places stalls, to lock, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think the locks aren't provided, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. To really see how many locks are there, you know? And so you guys have quite a few. I remember when I rolled up and I was like, oh, where do I lock my bike? Because there are so many, you know? And so that's a good thing. You guys are, that's definitely one thing that's. Uh, what, what inspired this, guys? What's your background? Um, how long have you been riding yourselves? And what do you love most about bikes? So I'll, I guess I'll start. Um, so I, I started riding pretty much as soon as I could walk. It was just kind of uh, anything with handlebars or a wheel I was obsessed with. Um, got really into just kind of riding around as a kid like everyone does. But I got, I grew up in Northern California and just ooh, became, ooh, yeah, just <laughs> obsessed with mountain biking. Like that's that's all anybody did, and yeah. that was like... It's like the, Disneyland up there. Exactly. The cool kids had mountain bikes and GT Zaz cars, and, you know, like, that was the thing. And so I spent every job, every part-time hour, whatever, um, that I could, like, saving for bikes and bike parts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm, city were you in? I was in this little tiny town of Ukiah, which is Ukiah, about three yeah. hours north of San Francisco. I was in Redding for a little while. Oh, so yeah, not too yeah. Cool. So right, right in that kind of, yeah, pocket. Um, but then we moved to Central California, which there's a lot of mountain biking there, but definitely not the same kind of yeah. stuff. And kind of fell out of it until moving here downtown. Um, and I got into road cycling, um, did some triathlons and things like that. And woo, woo. Try, I'm gonna try to be athlete That's myself. Triathlons all day. I call us try to be athletes. My my uh, triathlons were like the ones that people wore like costumes to and stuff like that. Like you could literally a like, man roll after out my of own bed, heart, hung you know? over and and still knock this one out. So, yeah. but it was it was a lot of fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. But when I moved downtown, uh, it was just like man, like I gotta walk either eight blocks or I gotta try and find parking. Or, like, it's just a mess. And, like, um, so I just started trying to take my bike. But I've got this, like, really nice carbon fiber bike I don't want to lock up. So I bought this really cool old vintage, um, you know, it was an actually, it was an 84 Gertiotti. And that became, like, my child. And <laughs> that's when I started realizing, like, this kind of, like, like I was saying earlier, the, the, the kind of, fabric that connects all this stuff that you don't see when you're in a car. So I was like, Tammy, you know, you've got to come on these rides with me. We'll just go like, we'll find coffee. We'll go explore this new community. We'll go try this little neighborhood or that brunch spot or whatever. And we'll do it on a bike. And it's just that much more um, interesting. And so that's where this really took off was kind of this obsession, getting into vintage bikes and getting into like exploring and, and that kind of thing and not like just wanting to nerd out on all these parts and and stuff and like setups and everything and not really having a shop that I could walk into and be like, yeah, I get this, like I'm with you or like feeling very intimidated going into a shop with my old vintage one 
and mm-hmm. like just kind of being like uh, you know i know bikes i've been biking a long time but right. people kind of like judge you like oh the bike like, snobbery yeah why it. why don't you have a newer bike man or something uh, like that and i was kind of like okay this is so anyways so that's, that's sad. that was kind of like what prompted this like desire to kind of build this community but yeah. i love to say run what you brung mm-hmm. you know? yeah um my I guess origins of bicycling mm-hmm. are very all American. I grew up in a tiny, America. tiny town, mm-hmm. America, uh, in Indiana, and my sister and I would ride our bicycles, pink and purple, with streamers coming out of the handlebars, up to the little town square where we'd get candy for a dollar and uh-huh. you know, library books Just real, and the beaver type stuff. One hundred percent, like they don't make them like that anymore. Okay. Um, and you know, I didn't do a whole lot of um, anything on a bicycle. After that, I moved to Chicago where I was kind of my own transportation. I lived in the city. I walked everywhere. I didn't have a car. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't consider myself an athlete by any stretch of the imagination. I'm it's just not my nature. Mm-hmm. I'm not a competitive person either, but what I do really, really like is to be active and outside. That's cool. And in Chicago, you have very limited, limited amount of time to enjoy being outside, but you are outside all of the time. What are the winter months in Chicago? Uh, all year. All year? <laughs> <Is> it really- <laughs> no, it's like uh, awesome. probably winter starts in about October. What? I mean... Some some years, yeah, uh-huh. and uh, it usually wraps up around April. Wow! So you and then it goes straight into like full on summer right. humidity. Right. Miserable, but you sit outside anyways. Right. But that's the cool thing about <laughs> Chicago is that the whole city opens up and right. everybody takes such advantage of being able to be outside, which is great. But I moved to LA and I had to drive everywhere and I was devastated. Right. I hated it mm-hmm. and. Um, it took me a really long time to connect with the city because I was in a car, just mm-hmm. miserable. And um, so I finally moved to a little pocket where I could walk. And that's kind of how I connected with my environment, which is how I really get to know a city, how I like really feel like I um, adventure around. But you're really limited here in L.A. because the blocks are forever long. Right. Nobody else is out on the street with you. Right. And it just things aren't that close. Right. Um, so when Chase suggested riding a bike... I was into it. I mean, yeah. it sounded like fun, and the the whole thought was like, man, I haven't done that since I was a kid. Right. Uh, so he rescued a little vintage rally from uh, the side of a shed in Palmdale, I think. <laughs> Drove it back and scrubbed it clean and mm. restored it in his loft. Mm. And yeah, I, it's right. It's sitting right next to us. It's a beautiful brown um, bike with cork grips and a, a lovely Honeybrook saddle. And you restored that up to yourself. That's very nice. He did an amazing job. And so then we started pedaling around and going to get coffee. And it was just this entirely new way of riding a bike that I was so excited about Mm. because it really did connect the city for me. And, um, yeah, we were just so much more adventurous. Those pockets of town you drive through, like Chase said, sometimes you see them through your windshield and you avoid them because you're like, well, I can never find parking. And right. it's always such a disaster. But, oh, that looks cute. One day I'll, like, get out of my car and, and take a look <laughs> at that restaurant. Um, it was all just kind of available and kind mm. of at our fingertips after that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how, how we got here. It just kind of grew from there. And we got stopped 
constantly on our bikes really? by people who were just in love with the way they looked, with mm -hmm. seeing us, mm -hmm. you know, just <laughs> bopping around. Like right. they just, it, the, no, the idea was so novel to like mm -hmm. be getting coffee uh -huh. on a bike and, you know, riding up in normal clothes right. or, you know, be going to the farmer's market. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love feeling French. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I totally get behind putting my little wooden crate <laughs> on my bike and filling yeah. it up with flowers. But you see Ronnie with a scarf around his neck. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty I deadly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And they would all tell us stories about, you know, how much they would love to do something like that. So mm -hmm. we found that we were not the only ones. And it became this really exciting idea to create this community where, like, everybody could get together around this idea of right. whatever their way of riding a bike is. Right. Right. Riding a bike is so, it's so versatile. You know, like we were talking, I was talking about the communities, you know, like you have the urban community and then you have the weekend warrior type riders. And then you have just, you know, the people that just like riding, you know, there's so many different types and just kind of bringing them all together and just, just being on a bike in general, I think is, is so key and it's so fun. You guys touched on an interesting idea of like the novelty and the romanticism of riding a bike. I mean, as a, a married couple, it's really beautiful that you're, you've started this business, this entrepreneurial endeavor together. And what has uh, the bike done for you guys' marriage, you know, other than just bringing you together? Maybe elaborate on that for us. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Ronnie I, goes deep. <laughs> I like to say the couple that sweats together stays together. Oh, yeah. I like that. So I, you can put that on the wall like a cool cursive mural. I'm going to embroider that and yes. I'm going to frame it um, with, little <laughs> with little rosettes around it. Um, I think, I mean, maybe this is true of all relationships, married or not. Like, it's important to keep things exciting and you know that's age old everybody says that but I think doing this together is um is a really exciting thing and it makes us more adventurous and it makes us a little bit more willing to find new pockets to explore and it's something that we share that I kind of feel like it's kind of us mm -hmm. like people associate bikes with us that like we are some of the only people they know in LA who are willing to ride their bike to go out to dinner on a date night. Right. I don't know, it just feels very special. And it's, yeah, I don't know, there's something about being out on a bike together with mm -hmm. other people that's a shared experience that right. feels so different than like mm -hmm. sitting next to them in a car. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a very connecting thing mm -hmm. that way. Like, I don't know, working and creating this business, we'd be working out of our house mm -hmm. just you know, not miserable, but like tired of being cooped up inside, just like wanting an excuse to get out. And we'd hop on our bikes and we'd go get coffee and we'd sit and, you know, just kind of download or unload or just breathe. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was just a really cool thing to do together. It was very mm -hmm. bonding, I guess. Yeah. I really like the space you guys hear with the, the double uh, sliding glass, glass doors, it's very airy and open. I mean, I'm sure during the summer or a nice day. California of summer all the time. None of this October to April nonsense. <laughs> but yeah, this place would be, uh, I can see it filled with people sipping their coffee and enjoying a little croissant. Um, what's been some of the coolest things you guys have discovered while exploring the city? Some businesses or flower shops or what's been something fun you've stumbled upon? Peddled upon? Um, anything jump out to you? I'd, I'd have to say it's like all these little these little things that you miss from a car. So for example, I was riding home late last night um, from here and there's just this pocket on 7th Street that's like all these um, little tiny shops and it feels like every other one is like a taqueria or something like that. 
and it just smells amazing. And it's like nine o'clock at night or something. And it feels like if it's not a taqueria or something like that, it's like a church or, or like, I, I don't, they're not churches, but it's just like, it's a huge empty room where they're like just singing and just like at the top of their lungs and they're just like into it. And I'm like sitting at a light and I'm just like, how can you not be happy? Like sitting here and it's like, it smells <laughs> good. Right. And you're just like, right. you're like, I just wanted to run in and be like, yeah, I'm into whatever you're doing. Like, let's, <laughs> let's do it. You know? And it's just those little things. <laughs> and like, crazy here? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah if it's not happy, a church. I'm, what is I'm, it? I'm signing up for whatever it is. Um, and then like, there's just like, I was writing uh, the other morning. And I pass these two homeless guys, and they're they're arguing over like what time they're gonna meet later. Like like they've got a schedule to keep, and there's they like no 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 it's like like I didn't even know they had watches or anything, right, but they right, were like, right. and it's just that's these are these things that you would completely miss in the car. I'd be right. at that moment in time in a car, I would be so angry that the light hadn't turned by oh, yeah. that, you know. Versus now, I'm just like running it and just going. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the uh, the hard right turn and then the J ride and then the other right turn. That's funny. That's funny. Um, I feel like it's kind of like. Um, uh, when you're walking and you're looking into windows and just watching all this life happen mm -hmm, that people mm -hmm. are completely unaware of that you're witnessing that right. they're doing and it's just this kind of magical like experience you're right next to them right. but in LA especially I feel like people are not used to having people in their personal space right. so if they're outside they kind of feel like they're alone and they just sort of behave how they behave and you just you get these little vignettes of this like color mm -hmm. of the city I think uh, Little Ethiopia is one of my favorites that really? we've explored by bike because it's one of those pockets uh -huh. that we are always going through it, mm -hmm. but it's always a disaster. There's right. never any parking. Right. But it parking. looks so lively and right. interesting, and you just imagine yourself like sitting on the floor eating with your hands this right. like spongy sour bread right. <laughs> pancake thing. And Fairfax and <laughs> Olympic, right? Yes. Yeah, right there, oh, you get Olympic. caught at all those horrible lights forever, and you have like this negative connotation with right. it. But we can bike there from our house with almost no trouble. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, we took that opportunity and did like a date night, and that was one of I think of our first bike mm -hmm. experiences. Have you been to any good restaurants over in Little Ethiopia? Yeah. No, I'm from East Africa, and so I've always wanted to go to those restaurants. I've just been scared to go to those restaurants. Up close and personal, they don't all look so charming. <laughs> yeah. well, I, do, I see the C rating, and that means go. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> C's get degrees, and okay. C's also get the noms. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't actually know the name of the right. one that we go yeah, to. And oh, we them. stand in front of two of them mm -hmm. and can never remember which one we yeah. go into. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think it starts with an A. An A? Uh-huh. No, I think... African food? I don't know. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. You, you guys both have short hair, so that kind of gets helmet hair out of the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. When you guys are just kind of putzing around or on date night, do you wear helmets, or what, is, what does that look like, and what type of lock do you use? Because I yeah. want people to see that this like is a tangible thing that you can do. You can't have date night mm -hmm. with um, your significant other via bicycle. Totally. As a matter of fact, my helmet looks like a hat okay. and has changeable covers. It is by UK. Can see it over there. We yeah. actually sell them because we found them somehow cool. and could not find them in any bike shops and had to order them online. And I wanted a hat or a helmet that looked cute that I like 
could change to go with my outfit that coordinated with my bicycle, and I didn't want to feel embarrassed to ask for that. So, um, yeah, it looks like a, an cool. equestrian helmet. Oh, I find it very an stylish. I might even race in one of those. It comes in plaid. Um, it's much easier to wear a helmet that looks like a hat that coordinates with your outfit when you're going on date night. Which on. That doesn't feel like a sacrifice. So that's what I do. That's awesome. Um, uh, yeah, we have, we just use one of those like huge kryptonite chains. Um, I don't have to carry it around because I think the most important thing for me is like I have a pretty sizable, um, like saddlebag. Okay. And so I literally can throw everything from coats to my wallet and phone and keys and our lock. And I've fit my laptop, my notebook, the charger for the laptop, uh, my wallet, keys, phone, and phone four bottles of wine in it at one time and saddle rode it home like that time. just because wow. it was that's like the back of the saddle that's the back of the, yeah and the party ride. yeah i was out <laughs> working <laughs> exactly yeah, a date night <laughs> yeah that's just tuesday okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh but i was out like working and tammy was like hey can you pick some stuff up and i was like yeah sure and i just throw it all in and so date night we just kind of like throw whatever we've got planned for the afternoon and like just putter around, you know? It's you, like a trunk. You guys are so cute. What are your <laughs> last names? What can we cohesively call you? <laughs> uh, Chase Spenced. Tammy Spenced. Spenced. Very cool. I like that. Spenced. Spenced. <laughs> Next time I have a cute date night, I'm be like, courtesy of the Spence. Yeah. <laughs> Spence in this one. Yeah. <laughs> all, all expense. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. Very um, cool. Well, let's see. We get into uh, some of the results for this weekend. Um, yeah. Three races, pretty big in the fixie scene. Right. Um, uh, well, yeah, talk about the first one, the one out in Santa Fring Springs. Santa let's Fe see. Springs. So we had a race put on by um, a gentleman named Bertozzi's on Instagram, and it was called the You Won't Crit. So it was hashtag You Won't. So that's kind of fixie speak for like, you, you won't. won't what? You won't, bro. Like, you won't show. Oh, you know? oh that's it's like yeah, like you might talk big game, like oh I'll be there, you RSVP, but you won't. <laughs> kind of like reverse psychology. Yeah, like, you won't. You won't crit. That's funny. That's good. I don't know. I don't know if that was the uh, intention. Yvette's much smarter than us, apparently. <laughs> um, so yeah, they had a pretty good know, turnout. Yeah. How many people would you say were out there? I was not there la that night. Okay. I have <laughs> the the spent. I'm still trying to get over this cough. I'd say there's about 60. Um, I remember you were on Shazad's motorcycle for the the Sunday one. Right. Um, had pretty good turnout. Let's see. Some of the heavy hitters were out there. GLK, a lot of tactics. Cool. Kept throwing guys up the road. They were beating me up. They kept sending uh, one at a time up the road, and then you just have to chase it down. Um, it was a five lap circuit race, four okay. miles a piece. Um, so 20 miles total mm -hmm. and ended up coming down to um, everyone being together with like 800 meters to go. Mm -hmm. And I think Steven Mergenthaler, he jumped with uh, about, about 800 to 1,000 meters left. Um, and a guy that looks just like me chased him down. Was his name Johnny Roth? Johnny Roth, something like that. Okay. Dawson's Creek, usually. Okay, um, all right. And we actually had a heavy hitter from Red Hook. His <laughs> name is... Uh, Let's see, Francesco Martucci. Was he there on that you won't grit? Yeah, he, he raced both. Oh, yeah, okay, nice, yeah. okay. Um, so he's on the Oakley team. Right. And uh, repping his sponsors. He actually works for Oakley and then is sponsored by them as well. That um, blows my mind yeah. that Oakley has a team like that. Pretty Oakley well. sunglasses, right? Let me explain to you guys what's going on here. So this growing community in cycling, okay? Um, 
as these crits and these things are happening, more companies are realizing that, you know, oh, they have some athletes or they have, like, you know, they can get involved pretty much. So Oakley, the sunglass company, created this team, this fixed gear team. And so they have their own, like, Oakley frames and really nice colors and things like that. Like, who knew? I saw the Oakley bike for the first time yesterday, mm -hmm. and I met the Italian gentleman. What's his name? Francesco Martucci. Yep, that's it. He's probably going to be a guest in a couple weeks here. Right, right, right. It's just, it's so interesting to me. It's going to be just a matter of time before we see an Adidas fixed gear team. Yeah, it's, it's really growing. Before we see a Nike fixed gear. I just really believe it because the cycling industry, especially here in L.A., I've since I've started shooting, I've watched it expand so much, and the bubble hasn't burst yet. It hasn't, you know. It's a lot like the kind of the X, the extreme game kind right. of thing yeah. that was happening, like, like skateboarding and snowboarding and everything. But mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like that stuff was all kind of new. Cycling has a lot more heritage and kind of staying power. So exactly. I, I think it's interesting that it's taken this long to get here, you know? You're right. You're 100% right. I was told at one time that cycling was the biggest sport in the United States. And this was in the early 1900s, I believe, late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. Madison Square Garden was originally built for velodrome inside. Hmm. Not a lot of people know that. Did you know yeah, that, Ronnie? I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um... Yeah, cycling, and then I, I don't, I guess, whatever happened between track cycling and baseball, baseball ended up becoming the biggest sport, and then I guess the rest is history. I think Americans got lazy is what happened there. Is that what it was? <laughs> I, I'm going to get flack for this, but I think there's a parallel between the obesity epidemic and uh, our national pastimes being relatively sedentary. Huh, okay, all right. Babe Ruth was kind of chubby. He was. Yeah. No. In my opinion, an athlete should be able to run a six-minute mile. If you're an elite athlete, making you know six figures like you should be able to run a six minute mile uh -huh. do some pull-ups do 100 push-ups in a couple minutes okay do sit-ups and that's not true for a lot of sports right it's like kobe kobe bryant he can run a six minute mile david beckham can run a six minute mile do the pull-ups do the push-ups you, know? mm -hmm. you can't say cc sabathia maybe not so much <laughs> is that a see i'm so out of the loop <laughs> Who's he? i don't even know who that is he's a pitcher, pitcher. He's a the pitcher? yankees is yeah. he a pretty big boy he's he's a big dude yeah he's i'm not dude. saying it's not an incredible skill set because there's a very just statistically very small portion of people that can pitch, you know, a 90 to 100 mile per hour fastball every time, and then be able to someone on the other end of that be able to hit it without the fear of getting struck. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. So it's not, I'm uh, not negating the fact that it's an incredible skill set, but I, I like, I think a lot of it is also like cycling. I'd be very surprised if there's cycle or we'll say cycling sport. Uh, enthusiasts like fans that don't ride right like like it's not right, like a whole point. bunch of people like all pack into a sports bar to watch <laughs> like a cycling event and but none of them would ever ride a bike or right. something like that versus a lot of these other sports it's it's a performance kind of you know it's mm -hmm. an entertainment it's like yeah. how it's like many people day gladiators yeah how many people actually play baseball or football or whatever mm -hmm. but millions pack into sports bars and their you know living rooms and stuff like mm -hmm. that to watch these sports but it's just a totally different experience and it doesn't like you're not drawn to get out there and like throw a football like you watch cycling and it's like yeah. you get into it right right that's what's always touted as the you know one of the bigger selling points for cycling is if you get to Cat One, you can go and ride with with the pros. You can get into most races, unless it's like invite only Tour de France or Tour of California. Anybody could show up to CBR on mm -hmm. um, Saturday and Sunday, 
and race in the Cat One Pro Race if you once you earn your Cat One license. Yeah, let's same talk with about tr- same with triathlon as well. Is you get to race on the same course, you mm-hmm. get to be able to do the same exact event in the same conditions alongside the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Let's that's the CBR race happened uh, yesterday morning, Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and this was and there was three different addresses for this. There was a Compton address, there's a really? Dominguez Hills address, and there's a Carson address. You gotta get on uh, SCNCA. Dot com is probably the best place to get the race schedule. What's the website again? That's uh, Southern California Nevada Cycling Association. Okay. So SCNCA.com. Okay. Go on race schedule, and it'll have the whole season. Um, you can see flyer, and then you can see register, and the flyer will have the address on there. Right. There was this one race yesterday, and a lot of... I'm new to these professional USAC events, mm-hmm. and so I'm getting introduced to these top national guys that are there, you yeah. know, and it's very interesting, like, talking to these guys, you know? Had a big turnout. And, yeah. Tell us who was there, Roddy. You know these people. Let's you see. ride with them. Um, names. We had uh, Daniel Holloway, who I believe is the current uh, elite national crit champion. Crit is criterium... Uh, for our non-cycling uh, enthusiasts. So Daniel Holloway, he's the type of guy that can lead himself out at like 35 miles per hour and then up the sprint to 45, 50 really? and be able to win. He's just a monster. So he turns up the pace on you guys at 35, saying, yeah. chase me. Yeah. And then he goes, chase me even harder, going 45, <laughs> yeah. 50 miles so an hour we have on a bicycle. Uh, the team goal, if you're like a breakaway team like KHS, is to just keep putting guys up the road and make them chase and tire them out. Mm-hmm. Um, see some other names that were out there. Uh, the Lux development team I saw that. was out there. Um, let's see, Corey and Justin Williams, Josh Ruiz, all with InCycle Predator mm-hmm. Pro Team. Um, the boys with Centric were out there. Right. We had uh, six racing. Um, let's see, Tyler Locke was off the front for four laps, I want to say, um, with before two to go. So, like, he nearly stayed away solo. Um, basically, from the gun, our plan was to make it as fast as possible. So, I like You're to talking call about it, your team, Centric. Yeah, yeah so the Centric team. Um, okay. Basically, clip in and just bone out. It's so like clip in like a mountain bike or cyclocross race and just start going. Because, mm-hmm. in my opinion, if we're going to race for 90 minutes, like, let's race for 90 minutes. Right. Instead of kind and of... And 90 minutes at... What's the average um, speed you guys are going for 90 we minutes? We averaged uh, about 300 watts was the normalized power. So, uh-huh. that was, like, my personal effort and then the average speeds um about 29 i'd say for 90 minutes yeah, straight pull it up um 30 miles an hour ended up being being crazy. a pretty fierce race pretty constant attacks um, a lot of teams just kept throwing guys up the road there was a like an eight-man breakaway at one point surf city cyclery was represented right but it eventually got brought back together after um the centric solar rider was brought back and became a bunch sprint and it can't, you could tell it's a hard race because Holloway tends to be like pretty untouchable in a bunch sprint. Right. And um, Justin Williams was able to to pip him at the line and right. beat him by uh, maybe a half wheel or so. Or so, so. Right. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Yeah. If you guys want to see the sprint finish with Justin and Daniel Holloway, it's on the Cycle Feed's Instagram, just at Cycle Feed. And a little 15 seconds of them blasting past the finish line. Yeah, going. How fast do you think they're going? Slow mo at the end. Um, the finish, let's see, I can pull it up here. Um, another way you can tell the race is hard is when Corey, Corey or Justin um, 
and sometimes even Bahati, they'll work together because they, they all have a vested interest in making it a, a bunch sprint. Right. And so they will sacrifice each other to, to be the domestique to weld the pack together. What's domestique? Um, domestique literally means servant in French. Okay. So when you guys are getting your, um, your baguettes you like via bikes with the scarf and your, uh, your hat helmet. <laughs> hat helmet just has a nice ring to it. Um, you can think of, of domestique. Domestique. So they will sacrifice each other, and you can tell it's a hard race because with two laps to go, Corey is like tailgunning at the back, you know, like mm -hmm. about to crap a kidney tired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a selfless thing. It's like he's willing to destroy himself for his brother. So it's right, pretty cool. Right. Even when they're not teammates, like you still see that dynamic. That's great. Uh, I think I've got the average speed here. Um, yeah, it looks like it was only, maybe this is warm up too. About 28. Yeah, not bad. That's still um, Mac, max speed is 46.5 miles per max hour. Max speed's 46 that's miles. Smoking. Yeah. And that's a kind of a, a slightly uh, uphill sprint there. Pretty wild. Yeah. And then immediately after, we, uh, we basically did some interviews with the top guys and then headed right over to the Strong Beach Criterium. Very nice. In Long Beach, put on by uh, Hector Morales. Hectorello Morales. Hectorello Morales. That was, that was a very fun event. There's another, there's two races that we went to yesterday. And there is uh, one in USAC. It was all in the Long Beach area. And then directly afterwards, there was another fixed gear crit. And um, this was put on by, yeah, Hectorello. Do, is it, it's Hectorello? Yeah. yeah. I, I just called him Hector, but he, I think I'm going to call him Hectorello from now on. He was the winner of the Roadrunner Bags, Bags and Bikes giveaway. That's right. He got That's the right. Americano bag. We had uh, Brad Adams on. Does Hectorello sound like Mexican chocolate? Anybody? Hectorella. Hectorella. It's like kind of tasty, you know. It sounds a little tasty. Yeah. What is that? Marinella? There's something. Car it's Carmelo's. Car yeah. Car Got Car is that what it is? <laughs> That's why I felt like it tastes like something good. Got a little dude, dude crush on on what the heck. Okay. His instant name is what the heck. All right, all right. Well, shout out to Hector. He, uh, so he put on a race. He put on a really good race. And this was his second one. We spoke to him afterwards, and he was like, this is my second one. I've never, <laughs> we just, I just put it together. And what was really cool about it was right next to the Long Beach Airport. So these guys are smashing around in this little crit. And uh, there's planes taking off and landing the entire time, just taking off and landing. And so uh, it just it added a very interesting feel. And for me especially, um, I do photo and video work, right? And so I'm involved in the race with these guys, but I'm on the back of a motorcycle, okay? And so I'm not like, you know, hugging the He's driver. butt to butt. We're what we like to call butt to butt, okay? <laughs> Truly so a bonding experience. Butt to butt, and like he's smashing with these guys, and I'm just holding on, and I'm just trying to get like this footage, and we're collecting really good footage, you know? He's basically yeah. just batting eyelashes at me and making uh -huh. me making me feel bad because I'm suffering. He's on a motorcycle. Right, I'm laughing at everybody going, ha, 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 we need pedal harder <laughs> type stuff. So, no, I don't do that. I wish, I, I'll be honest with you guys, I want to yell at you guys sometimes. I watch these guys racing and I'm doing video work and I want to like say, no, do this, no, do that. But who am I to be that guy on the sideline? <laughs> I'm the video guy, you know? Like to tell these guys what to do. These are guys that are like pushing themselves at, how, what was the pace that you guys were putting yourselves at the, uh, the fixed gear crit? You got to give me some warning so I can pull these up on Strava real quick. All right, so while he's looking um, at it. No, I remember. It's 20, 23.6. So, so was, we got to describe the course. It was two hairpins. In hindsight, I realize uh, Hectorello made it he, he made it almost lane. identical to the short line crit. No, short line? Civic Center. So with the two hairpins, so it was less of a square, but just identical. Uh, mm -hmm. 
I'm sorry. It sounds like there's a helicopter landing. Or the, on the Batmobile roof. just went by. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's probably just Shazad on his motorcycle wanting to do more butt-to-butt filming with you. Seriously, <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> Um, we'll get to the bottom. So of this. two two hairpins. It was a, a slight curve. Um, pretty windy out there, and one of the hairpins, not a personal fave. We came coming in like 35 miles per hour and a hard right, 90 degree right, and then in 10 more meters making a hard left. Um, so a little dangerous, mm-hmm. but it definitely teaches the skill set. Um, we all have our preferences. Right. You know, I'd rather have a more flowy course. It's going to be faster, safer. Um, but in the final sprint, I remember. Frank Martucci and Cesar Valenzuela, the eventual winner, came on both sides of me at about 35, 40 miles per hour, wow. skidding sideways like a semi-truck jackknife. That's and it crazy. just goes to show like the skill set um, that is involved in, in hairpins. Right. And, like, I don't know how to skid. You know? Right. Put that on the air. It's like, if any one of you foos can teach me, that would be I ideal. I could teach you how to skid. I teach, skid all day. Teach yeah. you how to dougie. Yeah, I could teach you how to skid. I could teach you how to dougie. <laughs> I can teach you how to dab. I can do whatever. I'm gonna opt out of the uh, <laughs> last one. We get we get piss tested for USAC. So no 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 not that kind of dab. not that type of dab. No no you know what's on funny? the internet. A dab is a dance move that people do, and it's like this. Gotcha. And it's like that's it. That's all there is to it. And that means I'm getting old when I don't know the latest dance move. Well, 28, you know, going on 80 apparently. Justin Williams said we did a little interview with him afterwards, and he was like, at the finish line, I was going to dab across the finish line, but I didn't have enough time. And I was like, seriously, bro? Speaking like, of I don't have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> seriously, like, I couldn't believe it. Like, you have, again, national champions all around you, you know, and you're thinking about doing a dance move across the finish line, you know? <laughs> he would need a little bit bigger of a gap. Nobody's going to dab on uh, Daniel Holloway. No, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it was close, maybe half a wheel to a wheel. Um, on Sunday, so second race, a lot of the guys had done all three races. So that, I think that's my favorite thing with the, the USAC and USAF, which is soon going to be USA Fixie, is people are, are doing both. And a rising tide lifts all ships is like as the fitness level is increasing, I call it the Strava factor. You see what your friends are doing. So it's no surprise on race day when someone's incredibly fast. Right, right, and we can't forget about the ladies. Yeah, well, let's announce the winners first. So first was uh, Cesar Valenzuela. First place, Team Zanamiano. Let's see, second was Frank Frank Martucci, Francesco Martucci, and third was Willow. So we had right. two uh, zero miedo on the on the podium. Pretty nice. cool. Sponsored by Craft Beer yeah. Podium. They beat me up. Beer, Came into yeah. that hairpin, did me dirty. That mm-hmm. skid. You got to come could, out with those. Skids, I couldn't man. hang, man. You got to practice those skids. Dude, the acceleration coming out of that corner is tough. Mm-hmm. You know? I think that that's a court. Usually, I don't change the gear. Just I run the same gear every time. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that one you would want a smaller gear so you can accelerate out of that over right. and over. So. Right. Live and learn. Yeah. Um, let's see the women's race we have women that race too you know what i mean and what something that we're definitely trying to encourage is like more females to come out to these events because there are a lot of female cyclists you know and so if you want you could start racing you could (laughs) ronnie tell her how much money she could potentially win well you could win enough for a second hat helmet let me start off by saying (laughs) she's gonna grab her mic and chime in (laughs) <laughs> tell me more. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> um, the let's see the the pro race at CBR, which is California Bicycle Racing, put on by Mr. Chris Lotz as the race director. Um, they had ten 
preems, so that's a mid-race sprint. So if you're the first person across the line um, when they announce preem lap and they'll ring a bell, you win that preem. Mm -hmm. And they were $75 each, so um, Cal Bike Law, Seth Davidson out of the South Bay, he is a, a lawyer, a writer, an all-around uh, renaissance man. He put up $1,500, um, $750 to the women, $750 to the men, just in preems. So that's on top Shut of the, the prize up, money really? at the end. You put it that much? And the prize purse was, uh, I believe, a grand, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Split, uh, I think, 10 deep. So pretty cool. I think Joe Selsa went home with uh, at least a couple hundred bucks. And they advertise his law agency and is is everything that it comes from or, or where all the money comes from. Like, for example, they would have, like, if you guys wanted to do something, they'd say, this is the wheelhouse preem. Now, everybody coming in with the wheelhouse preem, you yeah, know? Yeah, you can give, like, a gift certificate, coffee. We can get you in touch with Chris Lotz if you like giving away money. You know? Yeah, if you like giving away money. So. <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys like giving away money? Okay. <laughs> Bike racers love taking it. So. Yeah. Um, in the, the women's race, Joe Celso got in a three-woman breakaway and was able to break away from them and one solo at mm -hmm. CBR. And then on Strong Beach on Sunday, had maybe 10 to 12 women out there. Mm -hmm. Let's see, give me some names. We had Leah Klinkenberg. Yes, Leah Klinkenberg. Um, Asia Morris. Asia Morris. And then Young Wolf. Judy. I'm not really good with all the ladies' names. You're going to learn. If you're going to be on the moto just staring, you know, you better learn names. I you can't know. just stare, Dean. I know they're cute, but. That's me. <laughs> He's just fixie swooping. Yeah. Looking to take a girl on a bicycle date. I'm like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a Spence date? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> See, <laughs> what you need to know about Dean is he actually has a hat helmet that's never been worn, ladies. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so it's just waiting to get some use. It what is. is that, size medium? How big of a head of girl are you looking for? Maybe small? Um, Girl-wise? <laughs> um, I like trouble, so I want a big-headed girl. I like trouble. Yeah. So that's that's what I mean. You got to think about how much hair, see, yeah. like so yeah. that after life. that in there, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what I like. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like girls that know that. Let me just make sure. He's got, all he's got multiple helmets on the back, so <laughs> yeah. we'll find one that fits. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Um, Ronnie's always trying to hook me up with random people, man. I'm trying to. Yeah, Brian. <laughs> I'm playing hitch over here. Get you, get you in a suit and wrecking house real quick. <laughs> Roddy's crazy. Let's see, women's podium. Right. First, we had Asia. Asia Morris. Right. Second was Leah Klingenberg. 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 Right. I have a friend that's Klingenberg, and so I get it twisted. Okay. Um, and third, we are going yeah, to we drop will find the ball. Out who it is and. It's too bad we don't have phones that like have the internet attached no, to them or anything. That would be really cool in the future if we could do that. You know, we'll find out who the third place winner is. <laughs> Shout out to whoever got third place. Um, in the meantime, while we figure that out, tell us you guys want to do classes in here, right? This this is a big space, like I said. You guys have such a big space here. What kind of classes do you guys see yourself pulling off in here? I can think of a few classes that I would love to conduct in here. By the way, I'm just putting it out there. Okay, <laughs> but go ahead. Throw them out there. We're 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 taking all kinds of uh, suggestions. I think. I mean, again, when we think about what the purpose of this space is to be and kind of connect people and get people interested and make this more approachable, it's a lot of stuff like basic stuff, like basic maintenance and choosing the saddle and choosing the right bike for you and um, things like that. But we're certainly um, looking to do more stuff like yeah, that and there, getting yeah. it, you know, um, as we kind of see this this community also growing in mm -hmm. its cycling interest. And mm -hmm. so 
Um, I'd imagine further down the road, we're going to have some more advanced type stuff as people kind of get deeper nice. and deeper, like route sharing and stuff like that. Like right. a lot of can make a huge difference which roads you take across town oh, yeah. and commuting and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I could see a big map on the side of one of these walls. That'd be pretty stellar. We a actually, big alley map. One of the designs we had was uh, we wanted to kind of get this cool artistic representation of, of a map of like downtown and surrounding areas and have it printed on the floor. So just oh. like no names or anything like that, not real deep, but just like this thing that if you know which ones to look for, you could see. And so it's kind of like an artistic thing, right. kind of blends into the floor. But if you ever wanted to like, oh, yeah, you want to take, you know, 4th Street to 7th Street right. to whatever, you can like have it. And so very usable still. Yeah. 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 yeah that'd be so cool. One of those things we just ran out of time, ran out of. The owners would not let us do it. Why? <laughs> they were very particular about their space, particularly their concrete surfaces. Yeah, but it could get <laughs> polished again, though. Like, it doesn't have to stay. I don't understand why they have to be funny about it. Maybe future plans. Mm -hmm. We'll see. What Dean's saying is he buffs floors. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You guys need a guy. We'll put you in touch with the owners. You okay. can have the conversation. Get me in touch with them. I'm going to send them an email and a text message, and we'll see where we can go from there. Yeah, no, I just, I love maps. You know what I mean? And as, like one of the, my best pastimes when I get bored on my computer is going on Google Maps and pretending like I'm traveling in other countries. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's really what I do. I go, okay, I wonder if, like, the other day I saw a really good photo set of these photos at this um, island in Bulgaria. Not an island. It was, like, this coastal town off the coast in Bulgaria. And I was like, huh, I wonder if Google Maps is over there. And I went to the little coastal town, and I was like, and I'm like just kind of floating through their streets, and I was like, "Oh wow, this is nice." And I felt like I was in Bulgaria for a second. That is fascinating yeah. and a brilliant use of Google Maps. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I, I love maps. That's what I'm saying. Like, how dare the owner of this place <laughs> tell you not to put a map on the floor <laughs> when it's needed? You know. And so. As a concession, we have hung up a map, as you can see over there. It's a 1931 map of oh, Los Angeles, uh, so not super useful in directing uh, for your bike paths and whatnot. They but, don't have uh, the bike routes on there. Are there <laughs> no, no, but it certainly looks nice. There so. used to be an elevated wooden uh, bike path from Pasadena to downtown LA. Did you guys know that? I did not know that. It was like that. a bike freeway. I've seen photos of it. it was Pretty a, incredible. Yeah, elevated right above the 110, right? Yeah, it was back when MySpace was around. There's a lot of pictures of MySpace on it. Early, yeah. <laughs> early 1900s. Oh, what? imagine that, like, be able to just jam down this bike path on the TT bike. Why do you think they got rid of it? <laughs> um, I think cars or coffins would probably be a fitting phrase. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, just the automobile industry. That's too bad. That's too bad. Maybe competition. Sadly, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens when there's money involved. Yeah. So, like, if people are riding bikes, that means they're not driving cars. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I think there's compelling evidence that you could have a... You know, fully fully electric cars or free energy created with magnets, but yeah. because of uh, of power, just the oil stuff and um, big energy wanting to really have a, a monopoly on how people power their homes and right. vehicles. Do you guys have anything to say about big energy? <laughs> I'm gonna pass this microphone over. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I. Not especially. Like, right, right. I think I, uh, there was some suspicious stuff that happened in Los Angeles, and it's really tragic because just the time that L.A. was coming about, 
versus New York was much more established. Chicago, all these other cities had, you know, but LA was really, really coming on strong right around the time of the automobile. And so mm -hmm. it was kind of like the ideal city to really make this like future state of, 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 of the country and showcase it in Los Angeles. But um, I mean, I'm all in favor for like a good road trip and stuff. I think it's just right. about finding the most appropriate you know, means of transportation for the, the trip and, you know, metro and buses and all that stuff. I, right. I'm a big fan. I think, it's a, I think it's important. I love road trips. I think, you know, usually people want to get to their destination so fast. And sometimes, you know, just taking your time, whether you're on a bike or whether you're in a car with your friends, just like chatting, you know, it's so fun. Do, do you take road trips at all, Ronnie? When's the last road trip you had? Um, we travel quite a bit for races, so that's true. This weekend we're going up to Santa Barbara for uh, there's a road race. I think Poor College Kids, it's called. Poor College Kids. Yeah, it's put on by um, a bunch of the graduates and current cyclists. On I'm blanking on which team. Maybe UCLA or UC Santa Barbara. It's um, in so Santa it's Barbara, a, right? Probably yeah, UC Santa Barbara. The, the pro race is like 84 miles, rolling hills. I think there's like a three to five minute climb. Mm. And then there's a criterium the next day. Where's the where's the crit? Um, SCNCA.com. <laughs> um, the crit I think is maybe Goleta, I wanna say. Uh-huh. <clears throat> wow. Um, yeah, I like road trips. Uh, let's see, once I drove Oregon's nice. Um, I think the Pacific Northwest has so much to offer. I think you went to university up in uh, Washington, you yeah. said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are some of the your favorite places you've been? For road trips, uh, I mean, I'm just a huge fan of exploring the Northwest. That was, like, as a college student, you don't have any money for any other type of right. uh, travel or anything like that. But I I actually lived in Australia for a while. Really? Where? And uh, just outside of Sydney, like, a couple hours north. And um, we especially didn't have any money over there because we spent it all on the plane ticket over. How much but, was the plane ticket? Oh, I don't even remember. Like $6,000 or something absurd. crazy like that? I think we got a student rate or something like that. But once we got over there, five of us went in on a car uh, <laughs> for 1000 US dollars. Yeah, I think it was... No, no, it was 1000 Australian. So it was like you just seven... bought a car? We bought a car. It was $700 US. And it was wow. this old 81 Honda... Uh, and five of us, I mean, it literally was the size of the couch you guys are sitting on. It was so small, and we were packing everyone in. Um, we spent more on surfboards than we did on that car. Um, but that was the only way we got to see the country, is we would just, like, throw five surfboards on the top. I had bought a $20 tent from their version of Walmart, and I had brought my own sleeping bag out there because, you know, priorities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we would just drive, like, one of our trips was... 40 hours up the coast and just like we'd stop this looks like a good beach surf sleep wake up surf on the beach yeah sleep on the beach yeah i don't i mean who knows it might have been legal maybe it wasn't but right. no one was around i mean the city's so spread out yeah mm -hmm. and so we'd just and then we'd hop in the car and drive until we felt like stopping again and uh -huh. just until we got to wherever we had decided to visit and that was the coolest like road trips because that that was how we saw the country we didn't get to see like a lot of the stuff because it was like well could we drive there is it under 50 hours oh, okay let's do it right. you know you're you're 20 you know and stupid that is so <laughs> Which was <cool>. awesome <laughs> i could only imagine going to another country and saying 
guys, we need to buy a car. <laughs> like, what are we going to do? Yeah. How else are we going to get anywhere? Yeah. They're like, how much money do you have? I got a couple hundred. How much do you have? A couple hundred. All right, we're buying a Honda. Yep. <laughs> yep. How long were you there, did you say? About six months. It was also a stick shift and on the opposite side. And oh. so you're shifting with your left hand and, like, wow. trying to, like, yeah, it was it was tricky. Like, <laughs> we could have gotten into a lot more trouble than we actually did. Is the first on the left No, side? it's exactly the same. Oh, it's the first, exactly, first exactly It's the like same. you just moved on to the other side. <laughs> oh, yeah. I see. Okay, all right, that's cool. Yeah. I've always been curious about that. Which, the, the weird thing is the hardest thing was every time I'd hit my blinker, like, you're so conscious about shifting and the gas and everything, but the rest of the stuff you're doing automatically, and so the, sh the blinker, I'd always throw on the windshield wipers. or That was, like, the one thing I screwed up every single time because you just didn't think about mm -hmm. that. But you were mm -hmm. so, like, don't, don't, don't shift into the wrong gear or, like, stay on the right side of the road, that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. But windshield wipers all the time. I remember <laughs> the first time I was in a car that drove on the other side where the driver's the driver was on the right-hand side and the passenger's on the left-hand side. And I remember sitting there and I was scared because the person was driving, because it was in Africa, so they're driving crazy already. But like, I just remember thinking like, oh, I could drive too. And I'm like breaking, you know, because I'm, like, <laughs> I'm used to being in the driver's side, but it just didn't work. But either way, it's, it's fun. It's good to travel, exactly. you know? And that's, yeah. exci that's an exciting story. Like Australia, I've, I've, I'd love to go to Australia. Ever been, you've never been to Australia, Ronnie? No. No? I'm going to fix you in Australia, though. I've never... Just speaking that new existence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Now, this year, you should be able to go to, like, all the Red Hook stuff. Yeah. I can't I'm wait. Excited. I'd love to. There's now, a lot of maybe Cycle Feed's going to get out there, do some coverage. I hope so. We kind of got some, uh, some bad news to bear here. So, there was a, a robbery at the popular fix fixie bike shop in san fernando valley and thirteen thousand yep. dollars retail of merchandise was stolen yeah they've got video of the guy and uh even a pretty clear uh photo yeah he, he had a hoodie and um a portion of his face covered but should be able to put uh fixie jesus on the task and get all thirteen thousand plus interest back you know yeah it's <laughs> it's jacked up to here like you know, especially a shop like Fix Fixie. Dat is the gentleman that owns it. Super nice guy. Um, I got I get all my work done there at the shop here in the at the shop in the valley. Fix Fixie. It's on uh, Devonshire and Sepulveda, right across the street from the Vons. And Dat's a nice guy. He's uh, he's a nice guy. I've seen kids come in. They get their bikes worked on, and you know he hits them with the price, and they go, "Man, I only have this much," and he takes it. You know, and he's never, he just encourages just fun, good cycling. He's always a proponent for the neighborhood. He puts together fundraisers to, I won a bike and a raffle of his that he put on so he could donate the money to the Encino Velodrome because they needed work to get done at the Velodrome, you know? And so that's always about, you know, the community and making sure like everybody's just riding safely, everybody's okay. So it sucks to hear that somebody not only disrespects cycling, but disrespects that, you know, by busting a hole through the ceiling and stealing $13,000 worth of cycling stuff. Yeah. Oh. Are you guys familiar with Bike Index? I think I saw... Bike Index, no. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I, I think I heard about this through Bike Index. It's mm -hmm. like, they have a bunch of stuff. I follow them on Instagram, um, but they post and repost 
information on like yeah on someone's stolen bike or whatever so like oh. i'm always flipping through there and when i see something in los angeles i go oh i'm keeping my eyes out for a you know 2008 giant whatever right, or something right. like that bikeindex.com bikeindex i think it's dot com okay. i just go to bike index on instagram and they probably have a lot of information oh, but they were super we had some bikes stolen from here and they were super supportive of it and they've tracked down a lot of stuff like really yeah every other picture is like wow. oh we you know tracked down someone's you know this bike or that bike so so yeah, there he, it is. There's he's the on picture. the first. The person that took the stuff from Fix Fixie is on the front page of Bike Index. You guys are gonna be on your date night, just be busting foos. Yeah, oh, oh, man. Yeah. We, we that have, ain't like, your bicycle. Some, some hoods <laughs> and some little bats we carry around. We go fight crime yeah. after date night is crime uh -huh. fighting night. So nice. Naturally, nice. we go after bike thefts. Spends it on crime. So, yeah, the matching haircuts. <laughs> I think the matching haircuts, that's where it like really tags in. Yeah, it's, <laughs> she's going to hide our identity by being like confusing. Yeah. yeah okay. The androgynous crime fighting couple. I'm kidding. You guys are both beautiful. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so, Did, uh, you said Bike Index started following us on Cycle Feed? Oh, they started following you? Yeah. Why did the Bike Index start following our producer vet? <laughs> oh, so they followed you right away? Yeah. <laughs> follow for follow, baby. Power follow of follow. Instagram. <sighs> Stop following him. Listen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have, a, I have a friend who his dog has an Instagram. Shut up. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to say which dog it is, but he makes exorbitant amounts of dollars. Shut all up. All the fun coupons all the time. I call dollars fun coupons. Is he <laughs> um, sponsored like by Purina or something? Like, he's sponsored by a lot of people. No um, way. Yeah, like GoPro, North Face, a lot of. Are companies. you making this up? No, I'm not making it up. <laughs> he makes what? more. He makes more than like most doctors, and without the debt, because he's just a dog. Dogs don't have debt, not yet. The world hasn't gotten that bad to where your dog has debt. Uh, Give it a couple decades, though. That's crazy. <laughs> We're probably close. That's we are crazy. close. We just haven't figured it out. Dog insurance, you know. Yeah. yeah. For a while, people were taking out life insurance policies on homeless people, and what? then and then whacking them. Oh, shut up. Terrible. So really? then they made a law to where you can't pull out a life insurance policy on someone that you're not related to. Because, I mean, think about that. It's like, they, they don't have family. Like, a lot of them don't have family. They're not, um, no one's going to notice mm -hmm. if they disappear. Um, really sad. I think that's probably the biggest reason people um, don't become homeless is, like, the bigger your support network is, you know, the more, like, connected you are. Someone's going to let you sleep on the couch or... Right. Sure. Well, we get into weird tangents over here on Cycle Feed. Yeah, we do. We really do. That's what it's best for because we'll just start talking about random stuff all day. <laughs> and speaking of homeless people, the apocalypse is down the street here, right? Skid Row, okay? Pretty much, yeah. And so I like calling it the apocalypse. It's not really too <laughs> down the street. It's, it's downtown. There's homeless everywhere. But you guys were talking to me about the plan of this neighborhood, and I want to know, have they explained to you guys at all of what they plan on doing with the apocalypse up the street there the walking dead the walkers <laughs> i like it's a hard thing to plan for um i mean one of the things i think is cool is just in general how many large um seemingly insurmountable problems are being tackled like homelessness and healthcare mm -hmm. and all this stuff and everything mm -hmm. and it's like i have no idea but one of the things we've seen pop up is a lot of these micro units so they're literally like under 100 square feet okay. uh, and they're taking what used to be basically um, rent by the hour hotels in Skid Row that were mostly used for 
drug transactions and worse. And, and prostitution. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh-huh. and so the hour. they're By taking the these and they're converting them to these micro units where they find that, that people, when they're even given just like a small place to put their stuff, they have some sort of sense of ownership over it and some responsibility. Huh. And it's like a big thing to help turn... Um, turn some of these lives around and stuff and so that's huge there's been a couple of them pop up um it's very very cool to see like i mean it's i don't think there's any one silver bullet that just solves it or whatever but it's very cool that people there's just so many things that like oh it's such a big problem i can't solve it so i'm not gonna bother and like i think it's cool when anyone goes like yep definitely not gonna solve it this won't fix it but it'll make it a little better, and so I'm still going to do it. Like right. That's extremely admirable for right. people to go after it because a lot of times all you get out of that stuff is the satisfaction of knowing you made a difference, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's just really hard to do with something that big. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there is um, a tangible difference for a lot of um, people in, in power. They're seeing it costs less to be able to give someone a small um, micro-home or a tiny house than the detriment and financial costs on society. So if someone is going to the emergency room when they need a shower or just need some ibuprofen, it's like the cost of that adds up. It's like they're having to pay nurses and doctors. While if they're just to give someone access to a tiny home and a little bit of uh, infrastructure, I think there are some requirements sometimes, like in other cities, they'll require them to meet with a psychologist or to go to job interviews if they hear of, of work. Um, so there is some transaction happening there, but it, it's often like half the cost. I think it maybe costs $60,000 in taxpayer money. And when you give someone um, a place to live, it costs around like 30K. Huh. So pretty wild. That's crazy. I remember when I first moved to LA and I realized how big of the homeless situation was and I was talking to a few people and they explained to me that there is almost 75,000 homeless people in downtown Los Angeles alone. I, yeah, I wouldn't be even surprised if it's higher. Yeah, I well, mean, I'll be honest with you. They told me 100,000. Yeah, there that. you go. I didn't believe it. Yeah. I said, I don't think so. And then somebody was like, <laughs> well, maybe 75. And then the person kept saying 100. And so I was like, I'm going to stick with 75 when I yeah. repeat this to other people. But it's, it's as like things start changing here, I honestly wonder, like, as you said, I didn't hear about these micro apartments. Mm-hmm. That's good, but they don't have enough for everybody. Right. You know? And so it's going to be interesting how that kind of gets, how they plan on swinging that. Yeah, it's really heavy. But, but bringing it, like, kind of all the way around, we're, okay. we're finding, like, in general, like, and this applies for kind of socioeconomic issues, healthcare issues, a lot of stuff. We're finding it's way better to attack problems from a proactive perspective. So one of the things that we certainly believe very much in is kind of um, like cycling and bicycle infrastructure and these types of things because it improves access for much lower income um, families and and individuals and everything when you have, like when the world is built to be (coughs) traversed by car and, you know, a third of the population can't afford a car, right. you're, they're already at an advantage and now it gets even steeper because it takes two hours to get across town on a bus or something yeah. like that. Um, and so like bicycle infrastructure and these things with healthcare, these micro homes, stuff like that, mm-hmm. it all helps kind of attack these from more proactive and people don't like to do it because it's not treating directly a problem. 
but you have to kind of believe that it's like like you're saying the cost of treating the effects of it mm -hmm. is way more expensive than just addressing it up front and doing kind of the right thing which is make it easier for people to get around make people e easier for them to ride bikes and have homes and stuff like that right 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 i'm a i'm a bit of a i don't know optimist or these strange radical ideas that you should like love your neighbor as you love yourself um if a a mother monkey sees a baby monkey abandoned from another mother if it died or whatever happened she will adopt it as her own it's like if the animals can do this like why can't humans you know i like to say that there's not really scarcity in the world just artificial scarcity it's like the wor world has enough for everyone's need but not enough for everyone's greed mm -hmm. i don't know we always get into heavy topics but like i'd like to see less money spent on war and this global empire and more spent on uh, meeting the needs of our own people. 52% you know, of our tax dollars go towards military, 700 military bases worldwide. Um, people are being droned uh, you know, for being suspected insurgents. It gets messy, but... And people flip out if you're spending like 10 cents of taxpayer dollars to add a bike lane or something yeah. like that. Like it, I always love the one where people complain about... Um, welfare and people on food stamps yeah there is a good amount of abuse happening but the percentage of tax dollars that go towards welfare is about three percent i want to say social assistance while the majority of your tax dollars are going to corporate subsidies that are giving free money essentially to the six already most profitable businesses in the world so you've got pharmaceutical banking uh, military industrial energy um Let's see, what are some other ones? So oil falls under energy, but yeah, just to give an idea, it's like companies that are already uh, exorbitantly wealthy are be being given your tax dollars. Just a little interesting facts about America. Yeah. I mean, 3% is pretty darn small. Um, not that like we government handouts, like I'm not a fan of just give people socialism, give people whatever, but... We need to, like, Detroit right now is a third world hellhole, mm -hmm. you know, and this is America. Right. The American dream, there's this joke, people say you have to be asleep to believe it, because the, the world our parents inherited is a little bit different from what um, someone is inheriting nowadays. You know, right. If you went to school, you got a bachelor's, you pretty much had a, a surefire shot at, at landing a job out of college for our parents. Mm -hmm. That was like, college was the ticket, and nowadays we're living in this um, little bit of a a dystopia or a culture shock to where nothing's guaranteed. You know? Right. Um, like maybe segue into you guys are you're starting your own business. It's obviously a huge amount of risk. Um, what What do you you tell yourself when you look in the mirror? What's the reason to do it? What fires you get you guys up? What What makes you believe that it is possible to still create your own version of of the American dream? I mean, that's it's tough because. Um like starting your own business, everyone says it's a hard thing to do. It's like the hardest job. It's really hard. It's a lot of work, da da da. And and it is, but there's a there's just a lot of jobs that are really hard. There's a lot of jobs that take a lot of work, um, and this is not so different in that, except for the kind of emotional resilience that you have to have in order to just kind of power through obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Because it's not just work. At the end of the day, there's like bouts of you know it feels hopeless or it feels completely you know it's it's just a much deeper kind of emotional uh battle and i think it like people say like oh you have to love 
the you have to be super passionate about it or you have to have like a great idea or you have to have like there's this like every you know article on medium is uh the you know three things you have to have in order to be an entrepreneur and it's not like it's not quite like that i don't think i think you really have to have all of it because on any given day one or two or almost all of them are going to fail you mm -hmm. you're going to feel like this is a great idea i can't wait to do it it's just like it's going to take off and like some days it feels like this is the worst business idea ever right and you have to completely believe that you're doing it for another reason that like this is something you're passionate about and it doesn't matter if it's a bad business idea you still want to like if you're going to fail this is the thing you want to fail at exactly. you know and then there's other days that it's a flip and you just it has to be something that you're like so you can, almost can't imagine not doing it right um it's it's yeah and it's because it will beat you <laughs> if if anything less than that um you know, you just, you can't even imagine all the things that can and most likely will go wrong in mm -hmm. something like this. Um, but at the end of the day, like when you really, really feel strongly about something, it's like, I've worked a lot of really, really difficult, very challenging, very time intensive, very stressful jobs. Um, and this is the one that like, after you feel completely beaten, you wake up the next day and you go like, I'm still excited to solve this problem. Right. Like, this is a problem that I think is worth me diving into and getting dirty and bloodied over. Um, I don't know. That's kind of my thought. I feel like people that, that have that, that have that idea or people that have that attitude towards what they're working on, I feel like they've cracked the code to life almost, right? Because most people are, <coughs> excuse me, most people are working, they're in a wheel and they're spinning. Right, they don't know what they're working for. They're pretty much just working to wake up the next day, you know. And when you work, or when you wake up the next day to something that you enjoy, you broke the code to life, I believe. And so, congratulations on breaking that code. <laughs> so, <laughs> go ahead. Um, I, I, I don't actually remember your original question. Um, I'm just mostly thinking of this like abstract thought of the American yeah. dream and like. Just let it rip. How do you do it? And yeah. um, we are just coming out of sort of the tunnel that was building the business. Mm -hmm. Not that it's over, but that like it actually has a shape. It has a form. It has a look, a feel. Um, people can see it. People can experience it. And so we've at least gotten to that point right. where we sort of lived a year in this like building process where we were building something we couldn't see with our eyes. And... Um, I think, I think there were definitely times where there was not hope and it did not feel like we were doing anything or that it was going to work and definitely felt like it died a couple of times. And the thing that saved it was just this sort of like internal, like, I don't even know what it was, this internal drive or strength or hope that you couldn't really feel but was there, mm -hmm. that you got up in the morning and you just kind of kept doing it. And whatever it was later that day would like spark something and you'd remember. Right. Um, but I think not every couple is meant to do this. And I don't even know that like had you, when we met, if you had said like, oh, you're going to build a business together, I would have been like, you're crazy. Really? No, we are not. With this um, <laughs> What kind of I don't business? think so. That sounds like a really bad idea. Who are we praising? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I honestly think that for us, 
we sort of balance like when one of us was super low and we couldn't see the other side the other one was like there to kind of at least help remember for the two of you even that's if they great. were not up like we ne it was never like oh i'm feeling super positive that's okay you can have a down day it was right. like we're both wrecked and destroyed but i can kind of help give us a little perspective or i'll just i'll take the lead today right. you like rest or refresh yourself or whatever you have the freak out you break down right. i'll just at the very least hold it together right and um, I think I think what Chase said hit the nail on the head. I mean, you, the jobs you do for other people do not wreck you in such a way that like building your own business does. Yes. However, it is still difficult in its own right, and it still does consume a very large amount of your life. Oh yeah. And so to feel like at the end of the day, no matter what we were doing, all of that time we were spending at the end it was going to be ours mm -hmm. and i mm -hmm. think that was huge for us because we were going to throw ourselves into whatever it was that we did mm -hmm. for whoever it was that we worked for mm -hmm. so for us to yeah for it to belong to us at the end and for us to have a say in how it turned out and to like be able to choose the directions is huge got it got it's it. really inspiring guys that is it's you guys are in your late 20s maybe early 30s thank you <laughs> <laughs> good very cool like how long how long was this an idea before you guys actually had the doors open how long was the idea in just a spoken word pretty much you know what i mean mm-hmm mm -hmm. it took a couple of different versions i'm actually going to pass the microphone to chase because it was his idea before it was ours so okay okay it was probably like three years okay and it took a like she said a lot of different forms and um, and then probably a year and a half when it was like, all right, we're either going to do this or we're going to stop talking about it and okay. like figure out what we will do. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Did you guys have entrepreneurial ventures before this or what did your uh, work history look like prior? Uh, I did not, other than I always had little gigs going, sort of. It was like mostly to fuel my bike purchasing uh, spend habits at 10 years old. Uh, I would like polish my dad's shoes, for example, and I saved up for a Klein Pulse race. Like, it's my first like race mountain bike. It's good your dad um, paid you to do that. Yeah, he, yeah. He, <laughs> he was always like, I didn't get an allowance or anything like that, but he always had jobs for me to do. Huh. I could like wash his car, I could polish his, and he paid me for whatever I did. Uh, it wasn't like he forced chores or stuff. There were certain chores, but most of it was like, there's always a job if you're going to do it, but you're not going to get like an allowance or something right, like that. That's cool. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty cool looking back at it. <laughs> I don't think I was ex as excited about like pulling weeds at yeah. 11 or something like that. But, but it instills like a work ethic. Yeah, it's like looking you back. do this task and it's you get this pay. It's yeah. um, it's kind of like a, a microcosm for life in a way. It's like yeah. there's different pay for different jobs. And yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but my history was um, coming out of college, I got into healthcare. Um, with a finance degree, I started, I was like looking into banks and this is like right before everything, you know, uh, the recession, flipped, the, recession <laughs> the R word. Yeah. Right before that. And, uh, when do they start calling it depression is what I'm wondering. Like yeah, the recession that doesn't think, end. I yeah. think it's all branding. I think we've eliminated depression. Okay. Like, yeah, it's just, um, but yeah, I started in that and, and actually really enjoyed it because of the, uh, kind of the community around it. I always worked for smaller nonprofit hospitals and stuff like that. 
um, and moved around and did that for a while. I got into uh, a startup, um, healthcare startup company. Oh, really? Yeah. Are was, they still around? Uh, they are. They they went public like a year ago. They did really well. They grew really, really fast. And I actually just left them a few weeks ago um, to kind of take this full time and okay. do some other stuff. Um, but yeah, like my, my background was always kind of corporate stuff. And especially when I was doing consulting, you realize you're putting in, you know, 70 plus hour weeks. And this was the kind of, we had just gotten married. I'm traveling across the country, like on a weekly basis, right. putting in crazy hours. It's very stressful. And it was like, at the end of the day, like, I liked the work, but I really didn't feel that connected to it anymore. It became very big company kind of feeling and stuff. And right. so, which is one of the, things that prompted this but that was my background not very entrepreneurial the entrepreneurial kind of endeavors came out of uh i need to do something different right right i was also not entrepreneurial and I, I don't even know that i would consider myself that still like this is maybe an exception uh maybe um i'm an actor i moved out here to be an actor mm -hmm. um and fell into interior design nice uh, That's why it's so beautiful in here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and found that that really kind of, they fed each other. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a creative endeavor that really filled my bucket and, you know, kept my mind active and kept me inspired, but had a little more stability mm -hmm. and also offered me a little more control over what I, you know, could make happen. Mm -hmm. And they, I guess, well... I started my own business, so I guess that is another entrepreneurial endeavor. Uh, at the same time that we started building this, I branched off on my own and started doing, but I do mostly residential mm -hmm. and event design. So Event um, design? And event design, really? yeah. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What kind of events exactly? Um, I've done weddings okay. uh, so far. Uh, I have a potential opening party for a new startup company coming up. Oh, really? It's all very brand new, and honestly, it kind of took a, a back seat when, when the wheelhouse became a 3,700-square-foot uh -huh. project. <laughs> no, event design's cool. Like, when I think, because wow. I like going to events, when I always, like, that's the first thing I notice when I walk in is just, like, the production that was involved and somebody designed all of this. You it's know, an experience. You know, it is an experience. Usually when most people go places, they're just like, where are the drinks at? You know, and it's like, <laughs> no, there's like something going on here. You know what I mean? And I really appreciate that. So that's cool. That's definitely event designs. That's exciting. I think okay. what I figured out about myself, because as an actor, you always kind of feel a little bit of guilt if you like do anything else mm -hmm. because you, or as an artist, I think it's right. just kind of consistent across the board. Right. You feel like if you invest in anything else seriously, you're not all in. Right. Right. What I found for me is that I really needed to feel like I had a purpose that was in my own control. Right. And so me pursuing my own other passions made me better at acting or you know the pursuit of that I got to do it in a little bit more of my own way uh -huh. because I had this confidence of like you know what no I can do this I'm very capable like you might not cast me but that's okay like mm -hmm. it, it doesn't reflect on me that I've got other things going on so I'll see you for the next one and mm -hmm. it just allowed this really wonderful amount of growth in both careers mm -hmm. um, but I think what I learned uh, when I really finally thought about it was mm -hmm. that I just I really like to create stories or tell mm -hmm. stories or create experiences and I feel like that's sort of the through line between the acting between the interior design and between this you right. know 
That's great. That's really great. We don't interview. We've never interviewed an actor before, have we? No. no. Brad was a little bit of an actor. Brad was an actor. <laughs> Brad is this guy, Roadrunner Bags. He actually has a warehouse somewhere in this neighborhood. And you know Roadrunner Bags? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he uh, started sewing them together. And he's, he's a character. He probably wishes he was an actor, to say the least. <laughs> but this is what I wanted to ask you. Acting here in L.A., um, what is the hardest thing about being an actor in a place like Los Angeles? Ooh, um... Because this is, I mean, acting capital of the world, right? right. Everybody moves here because they want to be on television or Netflix. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> I just want to chill. Yeah. <laughs> what? What'd you say? I just want to chill. I just want to chill, Skip too. straight to the other half. <laughs> yeah, I just want to chill and ride bikes. But, I mean, there's, I remember when I first moved here and I would meet people and they're like, I'm an actor. And it always used to, like, I had so many questions, you know? And so I'm just like, oh, but, you know, I just don't ask. I just go, oh, that's cool, you know? But... Just you being here, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of work. There's always movies and things. But it's not as easy as people think it is. Do you see what I'm saying? There are people that fly in here and they think, oh, I'm going to get an agent. And then, boom, I'm going to be in a Tide commercial tomorrow. And it's not like that at all. No. And so from your experience, briefly, we don't, this is a, a cycling podcast, but I would like to just <laughs> know a little bit, you know, like, what do you think? Uh, I think the industry changed a lot. It changed significantly two months after I moved here. <laughs> two months after you so moved here. So okay, okay. that was probably really hard. Huh. Um, I mean, I think there's this huge amount of hope because it is the acting capital. And right. so there's always the possibility that something could happen. It's It feels so close. It feels like it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's like the greatest, most wonderful thing and also the saddest, hardest thing. Right. Because you feel like you're so close and you're just missing it or you right. you don't understand. It feels like it's everywhere. Like and you're so knocking there's... at the wrong door almost right. every time. You're like, maybe it was this person's door. Maybe, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm sorry for cutting you off. Keep going. Huh? No, no, that's, I mean, that's to keep it short and to not really spiral down a rabbit hole. I think right. that's probably, I mean, the disappointment thing, that's like, you know, it's what everybody says, it but it really is a challenge. I right. mean, it's, everybody has a way of telling you what the thing that you need to be doing and right. the thing that will make it happen or mm -hmm. the thing that will like give you success or change everything. And I mean, you just, you all have your own journey and you look around and you get this idea that like, and this is not specific to acting, I don't think, but you think that, oh, well, if it hasn't happened by 30, well, then, or if it hasn't happened by 25, mm -hmm. well, then that's a sign. Like, it's over. My, my opportunity is gone. Right. And it's just never consistent. There is literally never just one way that it happens. Mm -hmm. And so you can never measure your progress. You can never measure your success. Mm -hmm. You can never predict your future mm -hmm. or your future path. Like, it just every single person has a different experience. Right. And so you just have to kind of love it every time you do it and every day you pursue it mm -hmm. because it could be 50 years. It could be the next day. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's just really this process. It's about right. that process and like the couple of times you actually get to do the thing that you really wanted to do. So I would think that's the most difficult process in this city, even though it's the most available one at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. but good job, you know, in, in the peak of it, how many auditions um, are you going to in a week? What would that look like? Uh, it got really busy before the end of the year and it was probably like three, I think no three kidding. or four. And then I, I also record voiceover auditions oh. at home. And so it was pretty busy. And for me, that was a really busy week. It was both TV, um, commercial and voiceover all 
like right before the holidays. As soon it as was you said voiceover, I got so a big exciting. Smile. <laughs> you had said? I got a big smile when you said voiceover. Oh. I love cartoons. I love to do cartoon voices. Maybe everybody would agree. I mean, I don't know, guys. Do I sound like a cartoon? Because I get a lot I, of. <laughs> I think you could sound like a cartoon. Like, we're just talking. You're not hitting me with any funny voices. If you want a funny voice it from here on out, let's do it. And I could tell you at the end. But I'm not a casting agent or anything like that. But, like, I just, I mean, just the funny voices and cartoons and just voiceovers, all that I love. It, you know, and so <laughs> we have Donald Duck here all of a sudden. Um, I, uh, if I could be an actor, I'd want to be a voice actor just because I could show up to the studio half naked and still get the job done and leave. That's the best part of the job, yeah. So, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Do we, do we have anything else, Ronnie? Uh, what is the address of this place so people can find you? What is the address of this place? We are. At the wheelhouse, mm -hmm. but they're just this west. Is a, this is a compound. This is a campus, as you called it. Mm -hmm. And so I had to float by a couple of times before I actually saw it. And so what's the best way to explain how to get to the wheelhouse? So the campus that we're in is called Factory Place. Factory Place. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of ways you can enter, but we are right off of 6th Street. Uh, so you basically turn into what looks like a driveway, but that will actually carry you into this little pocket. Mm -hmm. uh, but our address is 1375 East 6th Street. And we are unit number six, uh, and that's LA90013. Very nice. We are right near the corner of Mateo and Sixth. Um, next to the gun club. Next to the gun club. Next to the LA gun club. Actually, if you were on Sixth Street, our name is painted on the back of the building. Okay. And we do have little sidewalk signs to help kind of direct you in. Uh, they are developing this area, but right now it still looks very closed off. So, yep, just. Uh, yep. That's how you can find us. Very nice. They're building a lot in this area, so it's going to be exciting to see what they build here within the next few years. What's the, it's the, what's the year plan when they plan on having everything finished? Five years? Have they said? Yeah, I mean, they could knock it out probably in a year. Oh, um, wow. It could be pretty soon, but um, I mean, the whole thing, like what's happening with the 6th Street Bridge and all this other stuff is definitely going to be like five years or so. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, but we'll be here. Well, great. Great, great, great. Um, we like to try and make it tangible and um, inspirational for some of the listeners. So what advice would you give to someone looking to start their own business? We asked Brad the same question with Roadrunner Bags, and he said, uh, I started with $5 and a sewing machine. Right. So what advice would you give? Because a lot of um, fixies have this bike dream to where they want to be a pro cyclist, but it's not, uh, it's not as lucrative as people might have seen, and, and very few people can make it to the Grand Tour level. So lay it on us. Uh, I'd say one of the things we did fairly well is um, be really open to advice, like listen to a lot of, of people. And okay. it doesn't mean take all of the advice. In fact, you have to be very, very discerning. Um, and then find really, really good people to help you. Like I, if you come in here with either of you guys come in with your bikes, uh, don't let me work on it. If I'm the only one here, just be like, no, I'll, I'll wait till the mechanic shows up. Like, I'm, I'm, I can work on my own bike. I'm capable of, right. of it, but like, I'm not a pro. We have right. guys for that, and we found people that really, really got our vision and really what we wanted to do, and are really good at it. Same with coffee. I can make good coffee. I cannot, like operate a coffee bar that has a line, you know, 15 deep that everyone's like, you know, craving their espresso and right. instant, like 
there's professionals for that and like find good people surround yourself with a really good team and then trust them to do their job and your job starting a business is to put systems and an environment in place where they do a really good job right not to do the best job all yourself or something like that so i i would say that we've done really well and definitely like a lot of people try and take on too much themselves so um and then too from a more business perspective like just look for the value like all these people that are you know really into kind of fixies and want to do their own shop or something or if you're really into kind of this romantic cycling if you're really into the race culture whatever it is like look for where you can find and add value um and then make something out of it you know uh, I think that's that's like people get caught up in the passion and the hobby of it mm-hmm. and forget like this is where I have to add value to where people will actually come to me as a business. Right. Right. Well, it's good. Thank you for your guys' great. time. The wheelhouse. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks the for wheelhouse. coming all the way out here. Not a problem. Thank you for having us. Thank you for blessing us with these amazing scones. Where did these pastries come from again? These are from uh, Superba Food and Bread. They're out in Venice. They also have one in uh, El Segundo. Nice. And very bike-friendly business. The owner, Paul, is um, a cycling enthusiast himself. Um, there's tons of bike racks outside. They're just nice. great people to work with. Outstanding food. We've just really enjoyed working with them. And and again, we've tried to partner our coffees from Olympia Coffee. They're a real big cycling forward roaster. Most of their employees ride their bikes to work. Our pastries, they're a very cycling kind of favorable business. Um, We've tried to partner with a lot of different ones like that. Any of others that I'm missing that are real big bike uh, groups? That's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking forward to seeing this place packed out. Um, I know. I'm excited to come back. Group rides rolling out of here uh-huh. and uh, get you guys really thriving. Thanks. Definitely. Thank I need, you, guys. I need a downtown, like, headquarter coffee house. I don't know. There have you one. go. I have one now. Done. It's called the wheelhouse. <laughs> so I'm excited to come back here and uh, rock on. Rock on. Yvette, do you have anything you'd like to add? We want to thank Yvette Lopez, our producer, for helping us today with this episode. And uh, till next time. Drive on. Quietly.